The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Amen. Thank you, Paul. My, my name is Sam. It's a real uh, privilege to speak to you this morning. Um, I'll be speaking to us on the subject of being um, church family together. Uh, but just before then, just a, a couple of words I uh, kind of like felt God just impressed on my heart. Uh, I was reading uh, through Matthew's gospel a couple of weeks back, and um, I think it's in Matthew uh, chapter 1. There's a bit in there where uh, it says that um, Joseph, after obviously Mary becomes pregnant, it says that Joseph was considering uh, quietly to, to divorce uh, Mary. And um, while he was considering that, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, not to do that. And I, I just felt God just kind of like just impressed upon me that there may well be a few in here who are considering making certain decisions. It doesn't necessarily have to, to do with divorce, but you are the point where you're, you're thinking, should I go this way or that way? And I just feel that God would say to you that he would, he would speak to you and he would let you know which way to go. Uh, for Joseph, in that moment, he needed to hear from God and God came through and God spoke to him and said, no, actually, do not leave her. The baby conceived is actually from God. Uh, and I feel that God would say that he would, he would speak to you and you'd hear him. Um, and then secondly, there's a, a verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12. And it says something pretty exciting. It says that after the people of God had heard God's word and understood it, it said that they went away rejoicing. And I felt God just highlight for me again the fact that actually great joy comes from knowing who he is. Great joy has nothing to do with the things we have in our homes. Great joy ultimately comes with knowing who God is. As the more we know him, the more we understand him, the more we, we reveal in who he is, the more joy flows into our hearts. And so again, just that sense of Open your hearts to who God is. Engage with the truth of God's word, and great joy will come. Some of you have lost your joy, and I really feel God would say, just get reconnected again. Get connected with truth from his word again. We were hearing lots come through in the songs this morning, in the Bible passages that were read. Get connected with his truth again, understand his truth again, and joy will come. I'll be sharing with us from Romans chapter 12. Um, I, I found that actually working through these verses, I, I felt quite provoked and challenged. I don't know whether that happens to you, but sometimes you read scripture and then it hits you. You try to turn the page but then you feel God and actually read it again, and it hits you, and you know it's for you. Sometimes you try to avoid it, but you know no, no, God wants you to hear that. So I must be very honest, I haven't found it easy working through these verses. Well, hopefully you guys will cope okay, but I, I struggled. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, I'll be reading just a couple of verses to us from verses 9 to 18 as I seek to speak to us on the subject of being family together. Romans chapter 12 from verse 9, Paul writing to the believers in Rome or the church in Rome, and this is what he says. 
He says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I honestly don't know how you do that. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When I read these verses, I thought, God, this is hard. But apparently, as a family, as a people of God, God has equipped us to live out these truths. And this morning, basically, I just want to help us see how Paul gives us a comprehensive picture of how love should work out in the local church. And as we talk local church, this is, this is us here, how love and honoring of one another should work out amongst us. He, he starts off in verse 9, Paul says to us, let love be genuine. Even before I go there, I want to just backtrack a bit to chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And I want to just highlight something about the fact that Paul uses the term brothers. Now, Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome wasn't just full of Jewish people. The church in Rome would have had a good mix, Jewish people, Greeks, people from other parts of the world, probably like we have here this morning. Here in this place this morning, you do not only have people from Hastings. There's a good mix of people. So Paul most likely was addressing an audience like we have here this morning. Now, Paul uses the term brothers or sisters. Now, I want to just underline the importance of that term. For Paul, everybody who was part of the local church was a brother or a sister. I'd like to say that again. Everybody, every recipient of that letter was a brother or a sister. There was no longer in the local church, well, it's just me and my crew, it's just me and this bunch. No, 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 no. Paul says, we are brothers and Sisters. The reason why he says this is this, because the same blood has washed your sin and my sin. The same Savior has saved you and saved me. The same death that brought you life has brought me life. Paul says, 
we are brothers and sisters. I know I don't look like you, but you're still, you're still my brother or sister in the Lord. I'm just wanting to highlight these things because this is the truth. And you see, the church is meant to astonish the world. The world should look at the church and go, who are those people? Why are they able to live in harmony? How are they able to do that when we can do it? Well, we've got the Spirit of God in us. We have been anointed by God. To be an example to the world out there. So when the world sees the church, they should go, I want to be like that. Yes. That's right. Paul says, We're brothers and sisters. On to verse 9. He starts off with a subject of love. Paul says, Let love be genuine. So far, he's been talking about this love, but the way it's worked out is that it seems that all references to love has been the love of God demonstrated. Effectively, on the cross in in chapter 5, verse 8, God's love poured out into our hearts, and ultimately, this love that will not refuse to let us go. But now, Paul focuses on this love, which is the essence of Christian discipleship. And so, Paul says... This love must be genuine. Paul basically says, love has got to be sincere. Paul talks about sincerity. And I want to just take my time to break some of these things down. Well, genuine here means unhypocritical. You see, hypocrisy is trying to be on the outside what you are not on the inside. And oftentimes, the thing that drives hypocrisy is pride. A person whose love is false and hypocritical seeks only his own interests and welfare. On the other hand, a person whose love is sincere or genuine seeks only the interests primarily of God and then the welfare of others. Paul says, our love for one another ought to be sincere. Our love for one another ought to be genuine. I should should love my brothers and sisters from deep within. I should not show something on the outside that I'm not in the inside. It's hard. Now, I'm not going to pretend that these things are easy, but the challenge to us this morning is that love for one another ought to be sincere. Secondly, Paul goes on, he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You see, this love that Paul talks about, it's not just sincere, it is also discerning. It is discerning because it it holds fast to what is good and it abhors what is evil. When When we love one another, we want good for one another. When we love people and they are going through terrible times, when we love people and they effectively are going through lots of challenge, we want to effectively stand with them. We want to hate the evil that happens to them, but hold fast 
to the good that happens to them. I'll give you a good example. If someone you know is going through lots of abuse, now when you love them, you would hate the abuse that they effectively are having to endure. And so, even though love, sometimes in our minds we can think is a nice, fuzzy thing, actually, on the back of Paul saying, let love be genuine, Paul says, well, actually hate, not just, not hate one another, hate what is evil. When my brother or sister is actually going through pretty tough times, I want to be able to stand with them and say, no, you're not going to do this alone. Because I love them, I hate the evil that comes to them. Love can only do that when we understand and stand with our brothers and sisters. So Paul says that this love ought to be discerning. The next thing he says to us in the next verse is this. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. So this love ought to be affectionate. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. How should we love one another? Well, Paul says, with brotherly affection. Now, not just a strong resolve to treat each other nicely. Paul describes here a natural connection that is often found within families. He's describing love between parents and children, or actually love between brothers and sisters. Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. It is an amazing kind of love, and it's interesting that Paul will effectively use this expression for the love that we should have in the local church. Paul says, our love should be like brothers would have love for their sisters, or sisters would have love for their brothers, or parents would have love for their children. There's many parents here, and oftentimes you want the good of your children. When your children are running into a pretty dangerous part of, say, the playground, what do you do? You quickly run after them and then stop them. The reason you do that, or actually, I'm a parent as well, the reason we do that is because we love them, and we don't want any harm coming to them. When my kids at home pick up the knife, and not that they do that, when they pick up the knife at home, wanting to play with the knife, I'm quick to say, no, please don't do that. I do that because I love them and care for them. Paul says we should have the same brotherly love in the local church. He goes on and he talks about honor as well. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this is the second time Paul highlights the, the, the expression one another in the same verse. Love in the church should express itself in mutual honor as well as mutual affection. We are to accord each other the highest possible honor. You show someone honor by serving them as though they were worthy of your service. And this is what Jesus did when he died for us. He showed us honor by effectively laying down his life for us. Paul calls us as a local church to show one another honor. Not just my spouse, not just my best mate, 
everybody who is part of the body of Christ, everybody who is part of this local church, Paul says, show them honor. You show them honor, we show one another honor by learning to serve one another. I learned to serve you, Tom, you learn to serve me. Thank you, my brother. We learn to serve one another. Paul says, show one another honor. The next thing he talks about is enthusiasm. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. A practical commitment to the Lord Jesus, Paul wants us to know. He wouldn't want us to be content with where we're at. Serving Jesus is caving into Jesus. It's being satisfied in him. It is being interested, not just in the, not in the approval of men, but in the approval of Jesus. Every step of service we take, we go deeper into him. And you can never, you can never repay Jesus anyway. But Paul's challenge is that when we're serving one another, we ought to do it with enthusiasm. Do it with all your heart. And I just want to pause here and commend our faithful brothers and sisters who help out in the car park Sunday after Sunday. I think we should applaud them. <laughs> Sunday after Sunday, they are faithfully serving out there. I will, I will like to commend our friends who are brothers and sisters who welcome us when we're coming. Sometimes our coming after I've had an argument with my wife. Please don't tell her. She says she's not here. I don't know. Every Sunday I preach, I don't know whether I should say this. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. But I find that every Sunday when I have to preach, I will have an argument with my wife. And sometimes it's just over really silly things. So this morning in the car, somebody's laughing. I don't know whether I should actually go there. I'm just, I, li I like it when we're all honest, isn't it? Because we do learn. So my wife says, okay, she would drive. So we, we make a start, and then suddenly she goes, oh, I don't know whether I actually turned the slow cooker on. So I then said, well, just go back and turn it on then. And she says, no, but we're running late. And uh, well, it wouldn't take us a minute to just go around, and then suddenly it gets we're arguing over whether the slow cooker had been turned on or off. Brilliant. You better love our family, you know. But I, I, I find that it's oftentimes the case. And then I arrive here, and then the guys, you know, at, at the gates, they welcome me with a smile, and suddenly it warms my heart. It does me good. Ultimately, my wife and I saw things out, but I'm aware that the guys there, Brian and his team, and you know, Teresa and all the, they, they welcome us in. And then the many stewards who again serve faithfully. I think we should applaud these guys as well. We've got our, our, our friends who help out, you know, with the AV and all, you know, doing the words and all that. Again, amazing. They do an amazing job. And then obviously we've got the many stewards. We've got the many faithful guys who serve our children Sunday after Sunday. We've got the guys who faithfully put out the chairs Sunday after Sunday. And then they put them away again. 
I'm aware I just come sit down and then disappear. These guys faithfully put them out and then they put them away again. And then there's the many faithful guys who set out the water and all that. I think we should applaud these guys as well. Thank you for your faithful service. Paul goes on and he talks about the fact that this love that should be expressed in this place, in the local church, Paul says this love is also patient. In verse 12, this is what he says. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You see, at the heart of this reference to hope, namely our confident Christian expectation of the Lord's return and the glory to follow, Paul wants us to know that actually we as a church, as a family, as brothers and sisters, can learn to be patient with one another. You see, Satan's design is to destroy our faith, but God's design is to strengthen our faith. When there's tribulation, how can we rejoice? How do you expect us to rejoice? Well, the answer is hope. What does hope do? You see, the future is where our hope is fixed, but that hope streams back into the present and it gives us joy. Born out of that joy is the word patience. How are you going to hang in there until the end of the tribulation? Well, Paul wants us to know the key word there is patience. Faith and patience. Paul says, be, be patient with one another. And in the midst of learning to be patient with one another, Paul says, remember hope, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul was sharing earlier, someday or one day we're going to stand before him. We can be patient with one another as well, even as we wait for that day. Our hope is in Christ, and we look forward to that day. In the meantime, we can learn to be patient with one another. This love is expressed in patience. Paul also says about the need to be constant in prayer. Then in verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And I, again, I just want to pause here and just say, as a local church, my prayer is that God will open our eyes to the needs of the people around us that God would help us see how we can be a blessing to one another. Paul says, contribute to the needs of others. So out of all that God gives to you, well, God says, actually reach out and contribute to the needs of others. It could be inviting somebody around for lunch. It could be meeting a financial need. It could be offering to babysit for a family in the church. There's so many needs everyone here can contribute to. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the family of God. And then he also says, be hospitable. The idea here, obviously, when he was writing this letter was that there weren't that many inns, and so and there weren't many, and they were quite far between as well. And so basically, the church had to learn to host travelers. 
But in our day and age today, there are many amongst us who may well need a place to maybe stay the night, maybe for a day or two. But you see, you wouldn't know unless you get speaking to maybe the person next to you. If we're only coming on a Sunday morning and once it's time for tea and coffee, we go and then catch up with our mates, there's no way we're going to connect with the needs around us. But as we ask God to open our eyes to the needs around us, we want to be also very open to him prompting us to step into the lives of other people. Be hospitable, he says. And then he talks about generosity. He says, listen, church, listen, brothers and sisters, be generous. Bless those who persecute you. Uh, bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. As Paul highlights generosity, he says, we mustn't neglect brothers and sisters who are in need. Be generous to one another. Be generous to one another. I know it's happening. or We are a very generous church, but I do wonder whether in this season God is wanting us to up our game a bit. Be generous to one another. Then there's a call to bless those who persecute you. Now, this is quite challenging. I don't often find it easy to bless those who give me a hard time. I don't know whether you do. But Paul seems to be echoing the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught clearly about being a blessing to those who persecute us and praying for our enemies. And Paul highlights the same thing here. There is no better way to bless our enemies than to pray for them. That neighbor who is constantly giving you trouble, can you imagine praying for them? Well, the challenges that we should do. Some of you are smiling. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Then Paul talks about sympathy. He says in verse 15, this is what he says. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If my brother or sister is rejoicing, Paul's charge is this. Rejoice with them. If you're happy, I want to be happy with you. In the same vein, if you're going through a challenging time, I want to be able to stand with you in that as well. Paul says, this is what brothers and sisters do. They sympathize with one another. I should be finishing shortly. And then in verse 16, Paul says to us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And I just want to take some time to touch on this. Paul says, associate with the lowly. The lowly may not necessarily be like us. The lowly may not necessarily speak our language. The lowly may not necessarily look like us. The lowly may not necessarily think like us. The lowly may not necessarily share the same passions we do. Paul says, 
associate with the lowly. Associate with those who are unlike you. Associate with people from different nations. Associate with people from different classes. Associate with people from different castes. I love the fact that as a local church, we are already doing that. Praise God. But the charges to never stop, to keep going for that. It's hard when people don't necessarily think like you. It's hard when, when, there's, when there's nothing to talk about. It's hard. But the challenge is step out of your comfort zone. We all like to be comfortable. When I go into a place, I source people out. Sometimes I listen to conversations. If I pick up on things that excite me, I naturally would go that way. We all like a bit of comfort. But Paul says, get out of your comfort zones. Associate with the lowly. I love that we are a welcoming church, and we do that. But we can continue to press into that. And as I finish off, Paul talks about humility as well. You see, Jesus fraternized with people from all walks of backgrounds. He made friends with the poor, he made friends with people from different backgrounds. He made friends with people from other nations. And Paul helps us. What a comprehensive picture of Christian love Paul gives us. Love is sincere. It is discerning. It is affectionate and respectful. It is both enthusiastic and patient, both generous and hospitable. It is both benevolent and sympathetic. It is marked by both harmony and humility. And I believe that local churches would appear happier and joyous communities if we loved one another like that. Just a few practical things as I finish. This afternoon, after the meeting finishes, why don't you aim to connect with somebody you've never spoken to before? When we go for teas and coffees, find somebody you have not spoken to before, somebody you don't often talk to at the end of the meeting. Don't, don't gravitate towards your usual five or six. Step away from that today and find somebody different. Introduce yourself and connect at a level. A lot of what I've shared today also happens within the connect groups. So if you're not yet a part of a connect group, why don't you ask at the info desk how you can get connected and sign up for a connect group? If you're not already serving in the local church, why don't you get on board? I'm aware that the children's team needs lots more workers. Why don't you get on board and serve our kids? Finally, be open to the needs around you. I'm certain that even this afternoon, God may well highlight something for you. I'm just going to ask the band to come back. I'm just going to pray. And then I'll, then I'll hand over to Paul and Natalie. Yes. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for your truth. Lord, some of these things are quite hard-hitting. But Lord, it's there in the scriptures. And I thank you that as a local church, you want us to reflect you more and more. I thank you that we first 
received this love from you. You have poured your love into our hearts. And Lord, now we want to be those who express this love in reaching out to one another. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. Just learn to serve one another. Learn to honor one another. Learn to associate with the lowly. And learn to sympathize with one another. Learn to do life together. I really want to ask Holy Spirit that this afternoon you just would birth a new passion and a new desire in us as a people to be those who are genuinely aware of the needs around us. We want to be family together. We want to serve one another, ultimately bringing glory to you. And so, Lord, would you build your church in this place? Would you build one another up? I pray that you would come in your power. And even now, as we bring this time to a close, I just pray that you be present and you continue to speak and show us your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.